Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. For most of human history, the sharing of human milk has taken place in one form or another. And the while informal milk sharing is a very controversial issue, the AAP's position on milk sharing or formal milk sharing or donor human milk is just a little bit different, and we're going to talk about that today. And I have two guests with me. I have Dr. Margaret Parker. She's an assistant professor of pediatrics at Boston Medical Center. And Dr. Michelle Brenner, she's an associate professor of pediatrics at Eastern Virginia Medical School Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters in Norfolk. Welcome to the show, ladies. So let's start with Dr. Brenner. Explain the difference, because I mentioned both in my intro, between informal milk sharing and milk selling and milk banking and formal milk sharing. Okay. Well, those are, that's a great question, and I think for a lot of people it's not clear what the difference is. Um, in informal milk sharing, typically there's a mom who has a need. For some reason she perhaps has an um, insufficient milk supply, and there's a mom who has a surplus. And somehow those moms get together. Currently in our current world, um, moms are finding each other on the Internet or social media um, and ideally, hopefully, a contact between friends. Um, So that's informal milk sharing. The important part there is that milk is exchanged without any cash in, in exchange for that product. Milk selling is basically the same setup, but for whatever reason, there's money exchanged um, uh, for the milk. And that really sets up a whole new collection of discussion points, which we'll get into about safety of the milk product. Um, Milk banking, which is more of a formal um, milk uh, sharing or distribution that occurs, is when moms donate their surplus milk to a for-profit or non-for-profit bank um, that does uh, a more official screening process of the milk and then typically pasteurizes the milk to then be distributed. Um, the, the difference, again, there is also the fact that there's some processing that goes on where with milk sharing and milk selling, there's no formal screening that's done and there's no formal processing of the milk product. So, Dr. Brenner, I'm going to stick with you for just a minute. Explain some of the risks of informal milk sharing and and then we'll talk about some ways that we can help reduce these risks. But just explain some of these risks. Right. So um, as I'm the medical director of a non-for-profit milk bank, and over the last three years we've screened over 2,000 donors. And I think the things that we're most focused on as a for-profit or a non-for-profit milk bank um, should be the same things that moms who are casually or informally sharing milk should be thinking about. We're interested in the health of the moms who are our donors. We want to make sure they're currently in good health, that they had a healthy pregnancy. Um, We're interested um, in their maternal serologies or their their blood screening that was done during the pregnancy to make sure they're not um, currently carrying hepatitis B or hepatitis C or HIV. Um, We're also interested in their current health habits. What kind of medications are they on? Um, What kind of toxins are they perhaps exposed to? Are they a smoker? Are they a drinker? Do they have um, any medications that they take regularly or any herbals that they take? We're also interested in how moms um, express their milk, store it, and handle it because all of those factors are going to be important in the milk that 
um, the mom who's receiving really wants to pay attention to. We really want to make sure that that milk is as safe as it can be. And finally, one of the issues that particularly comes into play when there's money exchanged, um, has there been any adulteration of that milk? Um, Has there been anything added, any cow's milk to extend it, any water um, or any other contaminants? Wow, there certainly is a lot to consider. So now, Dr. Parker, why don't you help us provide some ways to reduce some of these risks? And and while you're talking about that, please explain a little bit about why this is such a controversial topic and why for-profit, not-for-profit, some of these kinds of centers, and with the advent of the Internet and the ease of being able to get in touch with each other, why has this become so controversial? Um, That's a great question. So in terms of uh, giving practical tips and just understanding best how to reduce these risks, um, so the first risk I think Dr. Brenner brought up was just infections that the mothers might have. Um, And these are infections that um, may at times pass through the breast milk and have the possibility of um, then infecting the recipient baby that receives this milk that um, the mother got from another source. Um, So in terms of the infections, one of the things um, that a a mother may do if she's receiving informal milk is she may ask to receive or to have documentation of those uh, serologies or uh, tests that the mothers received during pregnancy um, that tested for uh, different types of infections, such as HIV. Um, Mothers could additionally ask possible donating mothers to get blood tests themselves. Um, for hepatitis B and C and HIV and other types of infections that um, could be concerning if the baby received exposures to them. Um, in terms of another uh, common type of risk that happens is just not such safe handling and storage of milk. Um, so what happens is mothers don't uh, freeze their milk appropriately. They might put um, too much milk into the, the plastic bag and then the milk expands when it's frozen such that the bag actually starts to open up and leak. Um, and that puts the milk at risk for being exposed to a variety of bacteria that are just sort of normally in freezers um, and normally are living um, around in the world. And that in and of itself could contaminate the milk. Um, also, moms sometimes don't wash their hands appropriately when they're handling their milk. And again, those bacterial contaminants could get inside the milk that then becomes donated to others. Um So along that line, inquiring with mothers exactly about how they did handle their milk at home um, and how they did store it can be helpful to reduce those risks. Another thing um, is that the families could actually meet the mothers in person um, to ask them, just get to know them a little bit better um, and ask them questions directly about their exposures to infection. Um, I think the last thing to reduce risk is other uh, types of medications or herbal supplements that those mothers may be having. Again, just having face-to-face conversations with mothers directly about their risk of um, caffeine intake, alcohol intake, other medications and herbal supplements um, could be more helpful in understanding um, what some of those risks are rather than just um, directly interacting with a mother online. Um, any other, I can't remember the second part of your question about the controversy. Well, that's okay, because I was going to yeah. stick with you for just a minute, Dr. Parker, mm-hmm. and ask you about the current AAP view on this topic. And because it, it is so controversial, and what does the AAP do? Is there a formal endorsement or current policies that address it? Tell us a little bit about what you know now. 
So currently, the AAP has a policy statement that largely applies to preterm infants in the hospital setting. In that particular statement, they strongly endorse the use of um, pasteurized donor milk. That's, again, milk that has been gone through a very thorough screening process and pasteurization process by um, uh, milk banks across the country. So we know that that milk is exceedingly safe uh, for our infants in the neonatal intensive care unit and our preterm infants that are at extremely high risk for infections. But right now, the AEP doesn't have a formal statement that does apply to the informal milk sharing that's occurring across the country for healthy term infants in the home setting. Um, I suspect in future years that there will be a policy statement addressing those topics. But that being said, there are other organizations out there that are certainly beginning to address this in more formal circumstances and more formal way. Um, so currently right now, I can say that AP doesn't actively endorse um, the practice, but I think it's important for families to recognize that it's extremely common and for pediatricians to know it's extremely common and that addressing these risks and benefits in an open conversation with pediatricians is definitely um, something that families should be seeking. Well, that's an important point. So, so Dr. Brenner, I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, for mothers, if they want to bring this up to their pediatrician, how would you recommend, you know, as the medical director of a nonprofit? So you, you hear this all the time. And how would you recommend that a mother even bring this up with her pediatrician when, when it's kind of might be uncomfortable? Maybe the pediatrician's on board. Maybe they're not. What does she say to them? So I think it comes up most often um, in the discussion, uh, hopefully, that moms are having with their pediatrician about concerns about their own personal milk supply or um, feeding alternatives if they're, you know, choosing to um, not give their own breast milk, but they're thinking of, or in addition to their breast milk, if they're looking at supplementation with formula. Um, And just bridging that gap and saying, you know, I've been thinking about, um, you know, asking another mother to share her milk with me and just trying to feel the pediatrician out um, as far as their comfort level with that. Um, I do think that um, the advice I give to my patients is that, like Meg said or Dr. Parker said, only accept milk um, from ideally someone that you have met, that you've had the opportunity to exchange a good conversation with. Um, ideally only after you've asked those questions about health history and medicines and health of their infant. Um, we certainly would love families to review those serologies or the blood work that the mom has from pregnancy and perhaps even ask her pediatrician, would you be comfortable looking at these and just making sure with me that these are negative? Um, And making sure that, again, that families are sharing surplus milk that their own infant uh, is not using and that there isn't an exchange of money that goes between families. And certainly that we want them to do this exchange in person without including um, another complicating factor of shipping in the in this exchange process. Um, the papers that have been published over the last few years about um, informal milk sharing show that certainly the shipping adds another whole layer of um, contamination potential with uh, milk thawing during the process of being shipped. We like the milk to be shipped frozen overnight um, when we do it from the milk bank, and that's really difficult to do in smaller volumes, and um, often it requires dry ice and different things. So I tell my families, ideally you want to go to this family's house, you know, get to see their living conditions, and ideally pick the milk up directly from them um, if this is something you choose to do. And as Meg said, I think this conversation can be open um, 
It doesn't necessarily have to be an endorsement on the part of the pediatrician, but just helping the family um, make informed decisions and um, get uh, and make the family. Yeah, and make the family aware of the risks and make the family aware of the benefits of breast milk as a whole, but the risks of certain types of sharing and what to watch out for. It's an awareness thing, really. Yes, absolutely. So that's so important. Now, um, Dr. Parker, what about high-risk infants? Yeah, so I think parents need to really think hard about their high-risk infants. Um, So for me, a high-risk infant is one that is... um, really at high risk for infection because they have immature immune systems. So I think this most often fits in our um, preterm infants that are still hospitalized. Um, So these infants, while they greatly benefit from um, human milk because it reduces infections for them, any contamination of the milk um, can lead to serious infections in the um, neonates themselves, some of which can can even be deadly and certainly prolonged hospitalization and need for IV antibiotics and things like that. Um, So I think for high-risk infants, it's most important, it's almost critical for these babies to have um, pasteurized donor milk that's coming from a milk bank that's already regulated. Um, The milk bank, as Dr. Brenner alluded to, um, those mothers do go through this very extensive screening process um, about her risk factors. Um, the milk itself, in addition, is pasteurized, meaning it's heat-shocked to remove um, any other viral or bacterial contamination that may be in it. Um, and then lastly, after that process, the milk then undergoes a, a screening to look for contaminations that may further be there before it's then delivered to those very high-risk neonates. So we know the milk from the milk banks is of utmost um, It's just the most safe that it can be, and we know it's the most beneficial for them. Um, to receive it in that way in the hospital setting. Um, I still think, uh, you know, as a neonatologist that works in the neonatal intensive care unit, many of our mothers do feel this intense pressure um, to provide milk for their babies um, just because we really talk about how important it is for them. And we know these mothers are only using um, breast pumps because their babies are unable to suck directly at the breast for many weeks often. And this makes it really hard to have a robust milk supply that a growing preterm infant needs. So these moms feel intense pressure to take milk um, from other contacts, friends, relatives, through the Internet, you name it, um, because they really want to provide the best milk for their babies. So I think as neonatologists and pediatricians, we need to just be very supportive and open with families um, in the neonatal intensive care unit about the potential risks that may um that may occur if they get informally shared milk um, and just make sure that we provide them the donor milk um, that's now quite accessible um, to most neonatal intensive units across the country. So, Dr. Brenner, what about, because a mother's milk changes over time, and so it's different that at, at the beginning of a, pre, you know, of, a, of a birth than it is after nine months of breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Is there is there something in the timing there? Do you not want to nurse a newborn infant with, say, a mother who had been breastfeeding for nine months already? Is there anything to that? And what do you say when people... So this is a two-part question, and we don't have a lot of time left, but that one is an interesting one to me. And what do you say to people who kind of give this a big ache factor? <laughs> oh, funny. Okay, I'll, I'll answer the first one first. Yeah. Um, Certainly, there is variation in um, human milk, truly from 
the time it is pumped in the morning and if milk is pumped in the evening. Milk that is produced for a preterm infant, a term infant, and a nine-month-old, as you mentioned. Um, for informal milk sharing, again, this situation, we're hopefully talking about a term healthy infant, um, and they really should do fine with um, milk that's pumped for um, any age of infant. For the um, intensive care unit infant that we're using banked milk for, that milk is always going to be fortified um, to meet the preterm infant's additional needs. So um, while we love preterm donor milk, and when we can get it, we, we love to provide that to families, but that's really often very difficult to get because most moms of preterm babies are providing their milk to their own infant. Um, with regard to the ick factor, I definitely think that... Um, you know, fortunately, breastfeeding has become much more popular and the ick factor in general for breastfeeding has decreased. Um, I think thinking about how important it is to provide species-specific proteins, that, you know, human milk for human babies really is what should happen and that providing a different species milk, for example, cow's milk, is not necessarily as beneficial. So, um, you know, I think the ick factor between moms who are pumping their milk and the moms who are in search of milk doesn't exist much. Um, I think they definitely, again, need to be aware of the risks and benefits of providing milk, but as far, hopefully most pediatricians are beyond the X factor as well. No, that was a, that was a good answer. So summarize it. I'm, I'm going to give you both a chance to sort of wrap it up for us. So Dr. Parker, I'll start with you. Just kind of give us your best advice about this milk sharing, the AAP. What do you want mothers to know about this whole process? I think just recognize that um, from the pediatrician's perspective, the reason this is controversial is because we um, – are taught to be somewhat risk-averse. We want to avoid any possible infection or concerning um, type of condition that may happen to our growing healthy infants. And so um, the risk that an infection may happen to a baby or some detrimental effect may happen to a baby with milk that she received um, from another source makes us worry. Um, but at the other, on the other hand, there are just so many benefits that um, breastfeeding um, provides for healthy growing babies, and this practice has been going on literally for centuries and centuries and centuries, and it's quite common for people to have breastfed other children in other cultures. Um, so that's why I think um, it's just important to recognize that this is why um, in talking to pediatricians, they may feel um, they're kind of torn in a way because their, uh, their education has taught them to try to avoid all harm, but on the other and they're also trying to really support families in making the best choices that they can make. Um, so I'd hope for families that they could just really take this information. Um, hopefully it would empower them when they are talking openly with their pediatricians about the topic. And, and now, Dr. Brenner, last word to you. Mm-hmm. And because you deal with this sort of thing every day, Tell us what you want women to know about, as we were discussing, awareness and the importance of testing and risk factors and things that you deal with every day in your job. Yes. Um, I I think it it goes down to the very practical of do your research, know your donor, meet your potential donor, um, make educated decisions based on educated uh, information that hopefully the donor can provide for you. Um, don't pay for milk, don't ship milk, 
um, really get that opportunity to know your donor and hopefully go right to her home and pick that milk up and have a great conversation um, while meeting her infant and her significant other. Um, I think getting an, it's a very personal exchange of body fluid, and I think we really should not make this into a commodity. It shouldn't be an online purchase. It should be a very personal experience for everyone um, to keep the babies as healthy as they can be. Thank you, ladies, so much for being with us. What a fascinating topic, and thank you for both for giving us such great information and awareness and the possible risks so that mothers that are researching this really know. And if you like these kinds of shows, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, you can rate and review, and you can listen on iHeart Streaming. And, of course, we love you to listen on RadioMD.com and HealthyChildren.org. That's another spot you can listen to. And our expert guests are all provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Thanks so much for listening to Healthy Children. This is Melanie Cole for Radio MD. Stay well.